This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. This week's podcast offers a reflection on the story of Jesus turning over the money changers' tables, as recorded in the second chapter of the Gospel of St. John. And we consider Jesus' assertion that the Beloved's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. The text that Martha read to us is one of those texts, if you've been at church very long, is pretty familiar. My fear is that, you know, the old saw, familiarity breeds contempt. This is one of those stories we've heard so often we think we know what it means. And in that thinking, the, the power to rock our world has been sucked out of it. Well, hopefully this morning, in the few moments I have, I'll be able to rock your world with some of the potency in this text, and that it will not be this sweet, benign little thing you think it to be, but that it would be worldview-shattering, as it were. So, the text is the story of Jesus in Jerusalem at Passover time which you need to know, Passover was a massive feast. And historians tell us that on the major feasts of the Hebrew religion, six times as many people would show up in Jerusalem as who actually lived there. So for example, if 100,000 people lived in Jerusalem for these feasts, 600,000 people would be in town. So it's bursting with people from all over the world. And this was particularly scary for the Romans who were trying to keep control and hold power over the city because if ever there was going to be violence or rioting or insurrection, it would happen during one of the major feasts, particularly Passover. The Romans knew the Jews weren't thrilled with being under the oppression of the Roman overlords. And so it was high alert time. And Jesus uh, comes in. Now, it's interesting that John places this event at the very beginning of his gospel, chapter 2, where the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, place it at a Passion Week, at the very end of their gospels, the week that Jesus is crucified. So what's going on with that? Well, I suggest... John is taking some creative liberty, as people do. Sometimes you've seen movies where they show you the very end of the movie in the first few frames, and then the rest of the movie, oh, you figure out how they get there. And I think John is doing something like that. This event was so important, John wanted his readers to understand everything Jesus said and did during his ministry was through this lens through this vocal point, that it was so significant and important that he puts it right at the beginning to color everything you're going to read about Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus shows up at the temple, and he overturns the money changers' tables and uh, basically has a hissy fit. Well, it's more than a hissy fit. It's an insurrection. I know we just uh, commemorated the January 6th 
what people call an insurrection in this country, that would be uh, kindergarten compared to what Jesus is doing. This is an unbelievable act of insurrection that Jesus is doing. Jesus is basically saying by his activity at the temple on that particular day that everything our religious leaders have told us about God is wrong. That the way to connect with God that they've taught us is wrong and is doomed and will be destroyed. And in fact, in the next 40, 30 years or so, the Romans did come and raise the temple to the ground. They destroyed it. Everything is about to be destroyed because it's bogus, it's bad, it's wrong, it's not what God wants. Everything we've been taught about God is crazy by this act that Jesus does at the temple. So you can well imagine all the people with the seminary degrees and that we're making a living off everything that happened at the temple, we're not pleased with the message that Jesus brought that day in the temple courts. And so here, some of the background that's important to understand on this story. The temple that Jesus went to was called the second temple, or the temple of Herod. And the first temple, which had been built by Solomon, was destroyed by the Babylonians several hundred years prior when they came and conquered Judah, and they raised Solomon's temple to the ground. So the, the captives returned to the land, and they started to rebuild the temple. It was kind of puny. And then this character named Herod, Herod the Great, according to history, uh, was friends, I believe, I think it was Julius Caesar. He was buddies with Julius Caesar and paid Caesar off to make him king of the Jews, king of the, the Palestine, of that Roman province. Now, Herod was not Jewish by birth. He was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, a cousin of the Jews. And the Jews were not particularly thrilled with Herod. They didn't like this guy. But Herod did something very brilliant. He decided to, to raise taxes and put a lot of money into rebuilding the temple that it would become this massive, wonderful uh, place that the Jews would be proud of. And so while the Jews did not like Herod, they loved Herod's temple. And they called it the second temple because they didn't want to call it Herod's temple because they disliked the guy so much. So anyway, it was the second and was this massive building that was ornate and beautiful. 46 years in putting this thing together. And it aspired the Jewish dream that one day God will return to the temple and kick the stinking Romans out of our land, and we will be in charge. We will be that light on a hill, and all nations will stream here to worship the one true God, Yahweh, in Yahweh's temple, and we will be the people of God, the arbiters of who has access to the great Yahweh, and we will be free, and our own people once again. This was the whole of this building and this whole enterprise. And Jesus shows up and says, it's stupid, it's wrong. Because when they had built the temple, they had built in a filtering system in the temple courts. So there was 
what was called the Court of the Gentiles, which was the opening access into the temple area. And in the Court of the Gentiles, all peoples were allowed to meander around in there. It was sort of an open, and that's where the money changers were in the marketplace. They were all allowed to be there. And then there was a big sign written in stone at the, at the, at the end of the Court of the Gentiles. It says, anybody who passes beyond this point takes your own life into your hands. As if to say, if you go beyond here, we can kill you if you're not Jewish, if you're not kosher, if you're not right. And so the court of the Gentiles opened up into the court of the women. And all the Jewish men and women were allowed into that area. And then beyond the court of the women, as I say, it was a filtering system, was the court of the men. And only Jewish men could go. Jewish women were not allowed past that. And so, and beyond the court of the men was the court of the priests, where only the priests and the Levites could go. Jewish men couldn't go there if you weren't a priest or a Levite. And then there was the Holy of Holies that only the high priests could enter, and only on the day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So it was this filtering system to get through to where God lived, where God was, to have access to God. And Jesus is irate with this filtering system. In fact, in Mark's version of this event, Mark chapter 11, Jesus says, my beloved's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And what incensed Jesus was that the religious leaders of the day had put up barriers to get to God. You've got to believe right. You've got to be right. You've got to be the right ethnicity. You've got to be the right sexual identity. You've got to be the right race. You've got to believe the correct creeds and doctrines to get to God. And Jesus overthrows the whole thing and says it's obscene. This is wrong. That's why he was such a threat to the powers that be. And in fact, the money changers were there because to actually make offerings to Yahweh, the God of the Jews, you had to have animals that were without spot or blemish. Now to raise animals without spot or blemish took a lot of extra care. And so there was a handling fee to be able to purchase the special kind of animals that could be offered to this God. And in fact, you couldn't use your Roman coins to buy these animals. You had to use temple shekels because your Roman coins were unclean. And of course, there was a handling fee to convert Roman coins into temple shekels. And so the religious leaders of the day were capitalizing on people's desire to connect with God. They were making money off of it. In fact, in Mark's gospel, the word used is the Greek word lestis, which means robber or thieves, but it means to be a violent robber or thieves, like a mugger who's going to steal from you and beat you up while they're stealing. And Jesus says, you've turned the beloved's house into a den of robbers, thieves, lestis. How dare you? He was incensed. 
And so he's upending the whole thing, the whole, everything they had come to know and believe, and the dream that God would return to the temple and kick the Romans out. He's upending the whole worldview by this act of defiance. Which is why the religious leaders realized and agreed with the Romans, we've got to put this guy to death. This is dangerous. And John puts this at the very beginning of his gospel so that we would understand as we read the gospel, this was Jesus' agenda, to upend everything you have been taught about God. Because it's wrong. Now I find that somewhat scary as one that has fancy theological degrees after my name. To think that people that had spent their lives studying and learning how to please this God were idiots and missed it completely. There's that haunting text, John 1.11, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. That the people that wanted his coming the most were the ones that missed it the most. I find that particularly scary at times. So Jesus upends everything and the rulers decide he must be done away with. And so I've, I've wondered as I've wrestled with this text this week, what obstacles have we put for people wanting to connect with the beloved of Jesus? What criteria have we erected to say, oh, you're not kosher, you're not right. You're not the right kind of people. You're not the right kind of person. What obstacles have we placed into people's longing to connect with God? And it's interesting, the, the, the Jewish leaders of the day come to Jesus and they challenge him in saying, what gives you the right to do what you're doing? Who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing this? And Jesus' response to them and to us is, destroy this temple. And I will raise it up in three days. And they're befuddled. They, this building took 46 years to build. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? And they didn't realize that Jesus was talking about his body. And he uses the word temple for his body. And what is a temple? A temple is where human beings go to connect with and to meet with a God. That's what a temple is. It's a place of connection for the divine one and human beings. And Jesus is saying, my body is that connecting place. Now, many Christians believe by faith that what Jesus did, making his body the temple of the Holy One, enables all of us to connect in our bodies with the Holy One. But what if Jesus is suggesting you don't have to go to a building to connect with God? You don't have to 
Fast for 40 days and 40 nights to connect with God. You don't have to give all your money to the poor to connect with God. You don't have to crawl on your knees and beat yourself with a whip to connect with God. What if God is already in the temple of who you are and is in the deepest places of who you are and you can connect right there, right where you are? Can you see how subversive this message is and how unsettling to people of power and money and authority. And so I ask again for our Lenten reflection. What obstacles might we, with the best of intentions, but what obstacles might we have put up that deter human beings from connecting with the beloved of Jesus.